This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. I once sucker punched a nationally ranked Thai boxer in a a Muay Thai uh, training session. It was an accidental sucker punch. And based on the fact that he was trying to teach me how to do basic skills in Muay Thai, which I had no familiarity with after years of karate and jiu-jitsu and taekwondo and everything else. So I was trying to learn the Muay Thai style. And so he had his hand, he had showed me five positions. Left hand up was smack that is one. Right hand up is smack that out to it above his shoulder. Down by his hip to the left is three. And down by his hip to the right is four. And then middle of the belly is is five. So he'd call out combinations. One, two, I'd punch left, right. He'd say three, four, I'd punch left, right, down, down below. I was confused. I guess I, I got a little ahead of myself. And he said one, three, or something like that. And I hit one hand and right in the middle of his gut and the solar, solar plexus as hard as I could. And he went down like a bag of a bag of potatoes. Because that's what happens when you can punch a guy in the solar plexus when you're not thinking about it, like Houdini. Now, this guy was, like I said, fifth ranked in Bangkok at his glory days. He was an old man now at 29, was out of the game in, in the competitive sport. But I still knew that I was probably going to be pulled limb from limb when he stood up eventually. So he's sitting on the ga- ground gasping and trying to get his win back. And I felt bad about the sucker punch, but I was looking around for an exit, thinking about how I could go over the ropes and jump through that exit and out the door. But he got up before I had a chance to move. Before And he stood, and he's actually a big guy, and he looked me right in the eyes and said, don't do that again. And I didn't. The point of this is that anybody is vulnerable if they're not expecting it. Flinching is a big thing. Like I mentioned, in Japanese jiu-jitsu, the, the tradition of the samurai, what, I, what I've grown up in, my favorite style, we have a, a method called kazushi. It's a technique in general that just means unbalancing. I might flick my hand at the guy's face to cause a flinch physically, or I might create some kind of a distraction some other way. It's a psychological game. And Kazushi is unbalancing, and the flinch technique, the flinching part of fighting is, an, is a deeply ingrained part of it. And just like having balance and standing and turning and using your core, we all get surprised at different times. This is going to be an interesting show because we get to talk about flinching and fighting And I'm really excited about this discussion because as always on Beyond Your Limits, we're going back into the, where did you learn this and how and why? And what, what big screw up did you do that taught you this lesson? We're talking with our guests because we want to, you know, we're focused on the human element of this whole thing as well as going beyond your own limits and learning their tricks and tricks of the trade. Well, the master of dealing with flinching in fighting, Tony Blauer is our guest today. Tony, welcome aboard. Hey. (laughs) <laughs> what a crazy story. Great to hear. Great, great to be here, man. Thank you, Rob. I told you, and you'd never see the connection until it, t- <laughs> until it ties together. Let me intro t- uh, Tony for y'all. Tony Blauer has been in the martial arts, self-defense, defensive tactics, and combatives industry for over four decades. He's one of the only combatives experts who has successfully affected training across all the combat-related communities, self-defense, combat sports, and the military and law enforcement sector. His research on physiology and mindset as it relates to confrontation management has influenced over three decades of reality-based martial artists and enhanced the survivability of law enforcement, military, and emergency services personnel around the world. He founded Blauer Tactical Systems, BTS, in 1985 
and it's grown into one of the world's leading consulting companies specializing in the research and development of performance psychology, personal safety, and close-quarter tactics and scenario-based training for law enforcement, military, and professional self-defense instructors. You can see much more about him over at BTS. We'll we'll make sure you have access to the primary site and any way to reach him at the end of this show. But I want to also throw out there that as a retired SEAL, he's famous in our community. Tony, when did you first start working with the Frogs? 1993, Coronado. Actually, let me me back that up. At, at the time, you know, uh, it was the West Coast was leading the way in the in that month long combatives training, and uh, I had, yeah, I had. They were just shifting from that and exploring new stuff, and I was on the East Coast, and I was doing a seminar in Virginia Beach, and there was an EOD tech in there who happened to be a martial artist in in this. I think it was uh, you know some uh, jujitsu instructor hosting me and you know like everyone in virginia beach there was like if there were 50 people in the seminar two of them were civilians everyone else was military but one thing led to another i was invited over to go talk to lieutenant colonel of team four i ended up doing a bunch of they were kind of like show and tell like an hour here a talk here a quick demo here it finally gained some traction and then they said all decisions for combatants are west coast so, like, like we can't bring you in. We can't do anything officially with you here. And it's actually a, a, a crazy story if I can hijack the call a little bit. And I, I mean, I, I don't even think I've ever really told this story on a podcast. You don't just call up the Navy SEALs and say, hey, you don't know me. Uh, you know, you don't walk up to the door, knock on the door and go, uh, hey, can I show you how I throw a punch? And I got, I got the name. Of, do you remember Mike Jaco? The name Mike Jaco? Of course, yeah. Okay. So Mike was, was running the combatives element back in, in 93. I didn't know him. I got his number. I was about to leave a message, and I'm thinking, and I don't know why. <laughs> this is funny. I'm like, these guys aren't going to answer the phone call. I don't understand, like, you know, what to do. I called, I left a message. We had this awkward phone call. And then there was a, in Black Belt Magazine, there was a story about L.A. SWAT cross-training with the SEALs, and they were exchanging movements and tactics and training. So I called up L.A. SWAT. I was coming out to do something for Black Belt Magazine. I called up L.A. SWAT. I said, I'm coming out to do some, to, to meet with the SEALs. While I'm out here, do you guys want to get together and, and look at my high-gear suit? I had a prototype and and look at our system. They said, you're meeting with the SEALs. Who are you meeting with? I said, well, Mike Jaco and his guys. Oh, really? So they booked. They said, they said when, when are you doing it? I said, well, they're getting back to me on the day, but I'm going to be out this week. So right now, you know, you got first dibs. So they picked, let's say, Wednesday. Then I called back the SEAL team. I said, hey, I'm going to meet with L.A. SWAT while I'm out doing that. They're like, oh, who are you meeting with L.A.? I gave them this guy's number. But it was funny how, like, when they thought these guys were moving on that, then they wanted to be. Before that, it was like, well, no, we're busy. So I went out there, uh, and, it, and it was amazing. The demo was crazy. And in fact, a lot of people don't know this. It was the Advanced Combat Training Group in Coronado that actually jump-started my high gear. We only had a prototype, and we hadn't funded it. We hadn't had any orders. We brought the, uh, the prototype, and actually I got pictures. I don't know if you remember Troy Lane and all those guys. Vaguely. That guy, Ludwig. 
So they were in this, they were the, I think there were only six or seven in this instructor cad, right? And I got pictures of them still like with the suit on that says prototype. It was pretty cool, but they waited 18 months for the first run of gear. And it was, it was the frogs. It was SEAL teams that actually jumpstarted high gear. Well, tell us about that. What is high gear? Unpack that. So high gear is a hard to describe. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's a condom you fight in. <laughs> it's 99%. It's 99%. Effective. Now, what I did was I designed the world's first impact reduction training suit for scenario training. When you think of scenario training, for those people in, in you know, uh, and again, I don't know the entire demographic of your audience, but law enforcement, military, other, you know, uh, those of you that, that are following your podcast, you'll remember red man and fist suits from back in the day. And they were these big, bulky training suits where, you know, you could beat on your role player. Well, I looked at that in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and I said, the only one practicing there is the defender attacking the role player because the role player can't move. You can't grapple. You can't flex tie. You can't handcuff. The role player is bulky. He's moving. He looks like the Michelin man for people who don't have an image. The Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin man had sex, and this is their kid. Big bulky, right? You can't do vehicle extractions. You can't do close quarter stuff. You can't do bus assaults. And I looked at that and I said, like, the role player needs to create a psychophysical experience for the student. Absolutely. And 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 so I said, what would happen if we designed, and I, this is no joke. I made the condom joke. When, when I had the company that built the first prototype, and I said, I, I, like, I want a training suit that you could headbutt, elbow, muzzle strike, all this stuff. And they were looking at things, and they were they were trying to create padding that, like, if I said to you, like, I'm going to punch you in the face, kick in the balls, pick a pad, you'd pick something really thick if you thought, I want to be as far away from <laughs> the pad. Well, in the context of scenario training, that just doesn't create any stress inoculation. It doesn't challenge any creativity. And the most important thing I wanted in this was I wanted people to experience the fear of the conflict because that's always the wild card. You can get someone in good shape. You can teach them fast rope and jump and sprint and shoot and breach and all and all, all the tactical stuff. You can teach them the jiu-jitsu, martial arts. But if they get a fear spike that hijacks their executive function, they're out of the moment, Right. And, and that's that 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 Zen motion no mind, right? You're just in there. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna live. But I'm I'm that's the, that's the original flow state, right? And I realized that when you had bulky gear on, there was a part of you at a non-conscious level that didn't care if you got hit. So I intentionally created gear that if you got hit, if you got nailed, you'd go ah. And I would mm-hmm. have people complain. I had a guy when we uh, finally launched. A guy calls me up. He says. Hey, I love the quality, man, but my sparring partner hit me with a big shot and my nose started bleeding. <laughs> it stunned me. My nose started bleeding. Uh, and I'm wearing your plexiglass mask and this helmet, which wasn't cheap. And he says, my nose started bleeding. And then it's like this pregnant pause. And we're on the phone. Yeah. And I go, I go, and? He goes, well, like, is it supposed to? I go, yeah, if you get punched in the nose, it's supposed to bleed. He goes, no, but I'm wearing the mask. I said, let me ask you. Uh, question. He goes, okay. I go, what did you do after he hit you and hit you so hard through the mask that your nose started bleeding? He says, man, I got pissed and I drilled him back 
Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, imagine if you didn't have the mask on. Maybe you'd be on the way to the hospital. The mask yeah. allowed you to kind of manifest this courage, go through the pain, and go, holy shit. And so that was that was the idea behind impact reduction gear. It's head to toe. It's less than 10 pounds. You can grapple in it. You can, you can, you know, do your, you know, uh, uh, you know, weapon drills, multiple sailing drills. It's, it's pretty badass and pretty, it really, really revolutionized what, what simunitions and marking cartridge did for right. force on force, high gear did for the hand to hand component. Yeah. Simunitions is different from paintball. Paintball stings, but simunitions is a bullet. A bullet yeah. flying that makes a mark, and it's very effective because of it. And the more realistic it is, like they, like you mentioned, that guy that got a bloody nose would have had a broken nose, and it would, yeah. it would have been blinding pain, completely disoriented, on his back maybe, and that's that's the yeah. end of the fight if you're in a real-world situation. Yeah, and, and it, it, it was more, again, this gradient experience of I can put this gear on, and, it, and now it's like it's being used by MMA guys, martial artists, Krav Maga. Like people started to discover it, but it was originally designed – for force on force scenario for, you know, military teams and SWAT teams. Right so they, they could, you know, again, I would, I would like a fly in the wall. I'd see this training and I'd go, man, the, the scenario training is very choreographed and orchestrated. And that's just not how real life is. Yeah. You have to be able to respond as the target, as the guy who's being assaulted. Ukenage, you know, standard Japanese style. You have, it's a, it's a cooperative movement thing. And as you said, if a guy's like, I picture a uh, Taekwondo gear, the big old chest plate, the big old helmet, the big old arm guards and, and, uh, and shin guards. That's great, but it's a, it's a padding that doesn't allow you to really do what you got to do, especially when you get into the false red man stuff you're talking about, the big balloon man, or like, it looks like, um, for the audience perspective, kind of like a dog suit when you're being attacked by a dog for training yeah. canines, yeah. The, you, you're a big bubble and you can't do what the guy, the, the, the guy who's trying to imp- increase his skills needs to have a realistic response, not just a big punching dummy that walks around. Yeah. You just reminded me of a demo. I saw one of the old Aslet, Aslet is American society law enforcement trainers. They had the original fist suit and they would let people hit their, their role player with a Louisville slugger bat. Mm. So the guy would be standing at the booth and anybody could come up and nail him in the chest. They were, what they were showing was how effective this gear was. And people are standing around like swinging at this guy. And it's the police conference. And I turned to my buddy. I said, the only guy practicing here is the guy with the bat. Yeah. Like, but that's not what we teach good guys. You're not beating. In other words, you know, had the role player had the ability, the speed and the ability to charge, you know, the, the cop with the bat, like that's a different fight. So it was, it was interesting. It was, it was just looking at it, it you know, from a, a different perspective, you know, you can, you, you know, battle, battle via maneuver versus attrition. At the end of the day, you got, you got to be mobile. You got to be fast. You got to be agile. And I, I saw a, a missing link in the industry where the, the role player either had no gear on. So you were very careful with, with contact. So now you're moving slow and you're not following through or the role player had too much gear on. And now you're getting used to a bigger, slower target. That's not going to be there in a real fight. Either way, you're getting unrealistic training and that's not what we want for our tier one guys. The people that are at the tier the tip of the spear of any spear law enforcement or any responder. Speaking of taking shots, Eric, this is uh, another bizarre segue, but you've taken a couple of shots in the face. You know, a thing or two about that. Welcome aboard brother. Hey Rob, great to be here. Uh, Tony, great to meet you. Yes, uh, yeah, five 
five broken noses. So exactly, <laughs> no stranger. <laughs> not exactly a great, not exactly a great time, but you know, I mean, I hear women like rugged. So that's right. Right. And you have to get past that initial fear. Like you were talking about, Tony, I know before I ever got hit in the face as a kid, I was afraid of getting hit in the face. It was, it was almost, uh, incapacitating. Like what, how bad will this be? You know, I don't want to walk into a first conflict and, and, and find myself experiencing this unbearable pain. But after you get hit in the face the first time, you say, ah, you know what? That's easy. I can deal with that again and again and again. And I'm sure you have. You've taken 10,000 shots to the face in the, in your career, probably. But getting past the flinch is, is the first thing. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've been teaching now 43 years, always done contact, you know, boxing, wrestling, sparring as a martial artist. And then in 1990, really started doing force on force scenario training before, before it was popular for, for people to do. And it was the result of one of my students who I was very close to their family. He was a 15 year old kid. I was 20 and he got his ass kicked three months after starting private lessons with me. And uh, he was my first student. And I, I was telling people that, that his loss hit me harder than the punch that hit him that dropped him. I was, you know, a Bruce Lee fanatic. I was a, a, a like obsessed martial artist trained every day. And when his dad said, hey, Mitchell's having bully issues at school, would you train him? This was like a huge honor for me. You know, I was like, oh, my God. And I, I prepared the classes. And I trained them. And it was moral, ethical, legal, even at 20. You know, here's this angry kid frustrated with his bullying. And I said, Mitch, no retroactive violence. The guy hasn't touched you. It's now it's just verbal, like verbal bullying. I know it sucks. The school's not doing anything about it. But your dad is paying me to train you. If this guy touches you, that's different. Right. And I and I trained him over and over again, you know, dirty boxing, grappling, clinching, other, the wrestling, the kicking from Taekwondo. And he goes to school one day and he's running around. He's late for class and he's running around the back. And this, this bully and his friends are sitting at the back, leaning against locker banks. And they see Mitch running and they stick out their foot and trip him. And he goes flying in front of a bunch of kids. You know, he's 15 and everyone's laughing and he's picking his book. But this is three months of this that he finally asserts, like he's grabbing his books and he goes, you fucking asshole, you know, fucker. And, and Mitch had never asserted. And this guy jumps up, moves towards him. And he goes, what did you call me? And Mitchell goes, leave me alone, man. I don't, like, I don't know why you've been bugging me since school started. And the guy's like, what are you going to do about it? And he shoves Mitchell. And so Mitchell had heard me saying, you, nothing happens until this guy goes physical. But it was incongruent and this is a neat thing for people that are interested in self-defense mitchell's neural patterns had been trained by me accidentally to equate sudden violence with sparring and this is a mistake that happens in the teams in the army in police academies where the the control and arrest is taught too close to or too much like a martial art. I'm going to do this move. You're going to do that move. And it's not this eruption of sudden violence that, and this is where the whole start of flinch evolved from that a, a sudden violent encounter can hijack executive function. You need executive function to access your complex motor skills, which are the moves you practice over and over again for years. Yeah. If a guy does this, I'll do that. And then we see evidence, body cam, helmet cam, uh, surveillance video of trained people fucking hesitating, not doing shit, flinching, turning, moving. And you're going, wait a minute, 
Like, where was all the training? Well, you can't access your training if you're having a, a serious fear spike because of startle flinch. But I'll get into that in a bit more. Let me wrap up this Mitch story. When the guy shoved him, Mitch is holding his school books. He's standing there. But we had never sparred with shoving and name-calling. It was, you ready to go? You got your mouth guard? Okay. Oh, you didn't have your mouth guard? Okay, we'll go to the body today. Okay, like, whatever. Like, it's all we, as violent as we think we're getting when we're <laughs> training, it's very cooperative. So Mitchell, when he gets shoved, he grabs the guy with his free hand by the lapel, slams this bully against the locker bank, asserting himself, going, don't ever put your hands on me. Leave me the fuck alone. Now I find out about the story at Mitch's next private. I come in there and he's fuming. I go, what happened? He's telling me the story. And he gets to this point where he's grabbed the guy against the locker bank and he stops talking and he looks at me. And I go, and then what happened? And he goes, <laughs> he, goes he dropped me with a left hook. And I'm like, Dude, what do you mean <laughs> drop to the left hook? Why didn't you now? This is way before Karate Kid. I like, but I said, why didn't you wax on, wax off without saying that? I said, you know, why didn't you slip? Why didn't you parry? Why didn't you check it? Why didn't you? And he looks at me and he goes, Well, I was holding a shirt with my left hand and I had my school books in my right hand. I know this is audio only, but everyone listening to this, visualize this. Imagine you walk up to somebody, you've got your briefcase, your purse, your kid books in your right hand you take your left hand you grab somebody by the front of the shirt by their tie by their throat and you look at them and you go don't ever fuck it with me again i'll drop you if that person moves right then both your blocking and striking tools are compromised mm-hmm. you've occupied both hands your head is just a pinata it's right. just getting ready now here's the thing that that most people in the self-defense community don't know about unless they've started studying our research when a stimulus is introduced too quickly and it's dangerous and it's close proxemics are huge it it triggers a startle flinch this micro flinch is also a simultaneous contraction and the cross extensor chain some big words here the cross extensor chain the clamps if you're holding anything it actually locks down tighter So if you're a cop holding somebody's ID with a flashlight and the guy grabs your gun or takes a swing at you and you go, oh, shit, and you flinch, you're actually not going to go block and sweep and scoop and and parry. Your your body is actually going to clamp down on your flashlight and your uh, the the ID. In the same way, Mitch, at 15, when he flinched, he grabbed his school bags tighter and he grabbed the guy's shirt tighter making that shot even more dynamic. Right. And, this, and it doesn't matter what your level is. It doesn't matter. There's, there, we, you know, there in, in our instructor courses, we draw some research from this book on uh, neuroanatomy uh, where these doctors who wrote this massive book, they talk about this, you know, the cross extensor chain is designed to disengage from noxious stimuli, big fancy language. And it's in, in this is right out of the quote uniform across the human species, regardless of gender, age, or 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 training. So you can be uh, seriously trained. And so like you know what you said in your original story. Here's a guy who's like a you know ranked in the world, you know total badass, and you threw. You, you, you screwed up the numbers, so his brain was thinking it's going to be a number two, but you hit him with a five or whatever it was, hits him in the body and drops him. In the same way Houdini died because somebody sucker punched him. And I've got a video 
that we that we also show of Muhammad Ali, and arguably the greatest boxer ever, being surprised by a, a comedian on a talk show that throws a jab at Ali in the middle of telling a story, and Ali's listening to him, and I got a picture of Ali leaning back, mouth open, hands open, fingers splayed, flinching, leg up, going like fetal, and I'm going, this guy has stood in front of Ernie Shavers, Kenny Norton, you know, Foreman, for like for like oh the, the most baddest and here's Ali even though he's got all the muscle memory everyone likes to talk about he was surprised and his body's survival reflex kicked in almost and you know we refer to it as the body's organic airbag the startle flinch is like an airbag it deploys. makes space and tighten up yeah and it and it but it deploys magically because you mean you know you you guys are are very intimate with with situational awareness left the bang head on a swivel but even with all of that training and knowledge you can still be captured compromised and surprised and our body responds at a non-conscious level at speeds faster than cognition it's pretty amazing yeah it's really amazing when you think about the fact that Ali could have slipped that fake jab without any effort at all. He, like you said, he slipped the best, he'd slipped out of the way of the best jabs in the world at that point. And this guy's just some joker who's trying to pretend to swing a jab, but he instead reacted, like you said, like, a, like an, any human being panicking in, in the lizard brain. Because, because it, it, exactly. There was no, there was no context. He's sitting on a talk show on this TV show, leaning in, listening to this story. It was masterfully set up, but the lesson there. You know, one is you, you can look at the lesson in terms of behavior and psychology. You can study it from a physiology and anatomy point of view. But the deeper lesson goes back to your original story that anybody of of any stature, any experience can be surprised and compromised. And it's 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 really I'll connect that to getting punched in the nose. If your fear of getting punched in the nose is more significant than your skill at recovering getting punched in the nose, then that's where you're going to get dropped. I remember in the eighties teaching a class and I was saying, okay, just kick somebody in the balls here and that'll drop them. And a lot of martial arts, you pass that on as, 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 as lore. It's just kick somebody in the balls. It's a primary target, especially for women's self-defense. And there was a cop in the class that pulls me aside after. And I always, I always thank this guy for not throwing me under the bus there, but he, he pulls me, I'm in my early twenties he pulls me aside after and he says, you know, getting kicked in the balls isn't physically debilitating. I go, what? He goes, yeah, you can still fight. He said, I had a guy trying to kill me. He kicked me in the balls. I knew he was trying to kill me because he told me. And I knew if I stopped fighting, he was going to grab my gun and kill me. I kept fighting. He says, so kicking somebody in the balls can hurt, but it doesn't stop somebody unless they think it does. And I was like, Wow. But I was like, also, I was going, how the fuck do you practice that? <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm like, okay, Eric, kick, I'll kick you in the balls first. And we're conditioning our nuts. I'll go first. And you go, no, I'll go first. No, I'll go first. No. Right? And, and, but it was one of those things that I heard. And then literally, like the God of War is a practical joker. A week later, I was messing around. I had one of my top students in my house. And we would always do like the, remember the old green or a Kato uh, Pink Panther. Where you whenever you, whenever yeah. you can. So we would have that sort of thing going. So I like, I'm in the kitchen. I turn around and he throws a punch at me. I slip, you know, I throw something else. So we're, we're messing around. We've got jeans and running shoes on. 
And he miscues on a front kick as I step in, and it just drills me. I'm wearing jeans, no cup in the school. Hits me full in, into the balls. And as it hits me, everything goes, you know, tacky, psyche, the term, fancy term for everything went into slow motion. Goes into slow motion, and I see Steve's face because he's looking at me. I'm his sensei. I'm his instructor. And I see his face going, no, it was an accident. <laughs> no. And I hear, all of a sudden, I hear this cop's voice going, getting kicked in the balls isn't physically debilitating. And so I take the shot. I have no choice. It nails me flush. And I immediately reach out, grab Steve by the throat, sweep him. And I'm coming down like to punch him. And he's on the ground in slow motion going, oh, it was an accident. Sorry. And, I, and I'm thinking, holy fuck, this cop was right. I do not feel a thing. And as soon as I stopped and went, holy shit, I could fight. The pain, when I stopped focusing on the self-defense, it was, I say, it was like a midget with a blowtorch under my nuts, right? Going, it was just all of a sudden I just doubled over. But the lesson there is, again, and you know this from, from uh, uh, you know, going through Hell Week and other training, the mind is your most powerful weapon. The mind navigates and controls the body. There's an anesthetic characteristic to intention. You can actually mm-hmm. ment- mentally, uh, some people overcome incredible pain, even some surgeries with just mindset. And I, I'm not there. I'm not one of those guys, but right. I know it exists. There are people that practice these kinds of disciplines in the world. And, you know, like we look at Wim Hof walking a half, half marathon barefoot in the Arctic uh, conditions. Yeah, crazy. Um, and, and so this is mindset. Again, things that can be tapped beyond your limits in other directions, but we don't, we can't, none of us can do all of them. There's no Superman person. We all have to focus in our areas of expertise, our zones of genius. But it's possible to overcome a lot of pain with that mindset, like you literally experienced and described. Can you unpack uh, spears? I want to make sure we talk about spear and get the so the listener understands what that is, because I want people to go and look you up and check it out and see how they can get involved, because this is practical stuff. This goes way beyond technique into comprehension, and I want people to comprehend as you're talking about the psychology of conflict and continuing. Sure. So SPEARS, uh, uh, an acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. Again, Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerated Response. I came up with the acronym. Actually, <laughs> it's funny. I came up with the acronym because of because of you guys. So in I, there was no acronym. In, I, in 87 is when I started figuring out, hey, there's something to this flinch. And we shifted our fighting stance from like, like we would call like negotiator, nonviolent postures, trying to deescalate. But if things were ramping up, we would take back in, you guys remember MP5s. Mm, I love an MP5. But you know, the air MP5 stance. So I, I would, so I'm in Coronado in 1993. This is like now six years later. And they contracted with me to, to, after our demos, they said, okay, we've got to get you out here. And, and we, we booked a couple of weeks of training and, uh, and I'm showing them our empty hand fighting stance and they go, Oh, air MP5. I'm going, I don't know what an MP5 was. I lived in Canada at the time. Like, you know, I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. So they show me the MP5 to show how they would pr- practice clearing a room. I'm like, Holy shit. That's kind of neat. And I called this move when somebody would move and people can't see, of course, uh, you'd have to, I guess, go to my website and look at some, look at some, some pictures. But my fingers are splayed and they're pointed downrange. They're point. They're always pointed towards the threat. 
And I knew from the start of flinch that if I extended my arms outside 90 degrees and I splayed my fingers towards the threat, it mitigated the amount of flinching back so that if somebody came to sucker punch me or headbutt me or grab me, there was a micro flinch and I could drive in and impale the attack. And I would use the term spear the attack, be the tip of the spear, you know, to, to play on that old military uh, maxim. And in your fight, your point, right? I play on that. But I shaped my hands like a spearhead when I would move in. And I would, if someone went to tackle, headbutt, haymaker, it was the same response. So I said, this is Hicks Law compliant. I've got, you know, one stimulus for multiple uh, uh, attacks, which means my decision-making loop is faster. So I was blending all of this performance psychology, integrating under an, uh, an intuitive understanding of the neurobiology of survival, how our body's hardwired. And we would call this a spear because the hands were shaped like a spear. And whatever you did, you started the move. I moved right in and I jammed you. I speared you with me, at, at, like, you know, driving behind it. And when I got out to Coronado, I'd write on the board, okay, we're going to do these spear drills, spear drills. And I would always write spear because it was a big part of our training, all caps. So what do you think the military guys asked me? Acronym. What does it stand for? And literally then, and I've never, just so you know, and it's, you know, ironic and serendipitous that it's your your podcast. I've never told this story in, in years of podcasts. It's just never come up. Your secret is safe with us. Yeah, they, they said, well, it's not, it's only the, the three of us. We're not going to tell anyone, right? So I say spear, they go, hey, hey, what's it mean? I go, what's what mean? Spear, S-P-E-A-R. And no, no, spear, like long pointy stick, right? <laughs> Jam it in, impale, move towards the danger. No defense, penetrate. Go, go, go. And they were like, wow, we love that, but we thought it was an acronym. So as soon as, as soon as I heard that, I was like, That'd be so cool if that was an acronym. Hold on a second. And um, I was teaching in Europe about two weeks after, and I'm sitting there waiting for my class to start. And I'm there at this place for a week, and they got a whiteboard, and I'm writing. And I've been playing with, since 1987, this startle flinch. So the spontaneous protection language had already been uh, part of my nomenclature. I would say, look, your your startle flinch is actually, because it's an organic airbag, it bypasses cognition. It's faster than you saying, parry this. Nobody think about this. Everyone on this on this call has flinched. Something similar, something to look out, you walk into a spider web, you turn around, there's a snake there, there's a whatever. None of you ever said flinch quickly. In other words, there's never been a conscious command to flinch. So you know, someone surprises you in the ring and you go and you and you you flinch, that was faster than you going. Oh, I, I should parry now. I should block this. So the startle flinch is faster than cognitive thinking. And I was like, okay, spontaneous protection was always there. And, and I'm thinking of these military guys, and I called them up, and this is my first acronym. I called the guys up long distance. I was in France. And I said, guys, here's your acronym. And they're like, no way. I go, write this down. Spontaneous protection, enabling aggressive retaliation they fucking loved it that was the first acronym in 1993 i also did my first law enforcement conference and i started teaching this and the cops are all like aggressive retaliation and one of them pulls me aside he goes man that's not going to fly in the law enforcement community aggressive retaliation we don't retaliate 
I go, well, you should. I mean, if somebody grabs your gun and says, I'm going to kill you or someone sucker punches you, well, you, you are retaliating. This is just this was before everyone was PC and all that. This is 1993. I'm going, of course, you're fucking retaliating. You're just hiding behind words. I go, yeah, but like everything we do goes through legal and like they're not going to bring you in. So I'm like, fuck, I love this acronym. And I, and I sat there for a day pissed off. And then I said, okay, spontaneous protection. And then it just hit me, accelerate a response, which was actually from the neuroscience and the neurobiology, the correct acronym. Right. Because what, what, we're, what we're doing is we're taking the fastest thing your human body can do without any training and teaching you how to weaponize it during a sudden violent encounter. Because after any flinch, and any natural flinch by any natural untrained person, there's always a recovery. It may take three seconds or it may take one full second. But eventually, anybody who's flex- and everybody, who, every boy who's ever been in high school has been made to flinch. Like, flinch, made you flinch, right? Boys oh, yeah. are assholes. And so we've all experienced that. But the, the, re- the reaction that follows is there's always a recovery and there's always a response potential. But here you're saying, bake the response into the flinch. Correct. Beautiful. That's how you accelerate it. What we're actually doing is we're, we're analyzing, okay, the body's going to do this anyhow. Is there value in this movement? So when you f- actually, like when you flinch, your hands come up to cover your head. And then if there's time and space, it, they will extend. The extensor chain will come out to push away danger. So by analyzing that, we created a whole bunch of really cool air quotes, proprietary drills, things that we figured out over decades that actually enhance the recovery time. So when I startle flinch, so something surprises me after decades of doing this, I will flinch. And while I'm flinching, the startle flinch is actually a signal, signal-based learning. Uh, this is all neuroscience. It's a signal to my cognitive brain to convert the flinch. So if you, so if you think about, let's say you're, you're on the range and you're firing and all of a sudden, your gun runs dry. If you were a brand new shooter and you don't know how to do reloads and you don't understand, you'd go click, click, click. You'd look at your gun, right, where uh, a SEAL or somebody who's, who, who um, is really experienced with that goes click. And as soon as they hear that sound, they've already hit the mag release. They're already transitioning. So what we're talking about is that any stimulus comes in, the trained person can convert and adapt and a lot of these drills we actually uh, uh coin them uh, uh very much like we call them malfunction drills mm-hmm, right, right. Like how clear can you how quickly can you clear this jam the, the the metaphor here is the jam is an emotional psychological jam because you moved first you surprised me you i thought you were going to come with a one number two you know you came with a number five fucking surprised me and 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 right so it's it's an interesting thing. And I make this joke, I, like I say, because, you know, obviously we train with a lot of uh, military and law enforcement. I go, how many of you are really good at clearing a double feed, clearing, clearing a stovepipe? And they're all like pretty amazing. So I go, some of you are faster at your tap rack clear than you are at shooting accurately. You're better at, at clearing jams. And people smile and giggle. I go, but would you want to be in a gunfight thinking, I hope I get a jam because I'm really good at clearing them. And everyone's like, fuck no. I go, you don't want to flinch. But if you don't respect the threat that the bad guy 
is going to try and surprise you, then it's, 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 it's a void in your tactical arsenal. So a lot of people think that, that I, you know, because I'm all spear, 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 that I don't practice knife, gun, grappling. I mean, it's all there, but I recognize this. All fights are dangerous, but the most dangerous fight is an ambush because it does things to you at a neurological level where you can't just, you can't just be a, have a badass attitude. I don't care what happens. Like your body's going to do different things and you're not going to access the train skills you thought you were going to access right away to, to come back to your point, Rob, about everyone's going to flinch. What's the refractory delay between stimulus response? You know, so for the untrained shooter, they get it. They get a, a jam at the range and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And they're looking for the range master. And if that was a gunfight, right, they got a big problem where the trained shooter goes, this could happen. We don't want this to happen. Let's clear the shit and get back in the fight. Hey, Tony, yes, looking at, at present day here from a civilian standpoint, obviously, yeah, as the years have gone along, laws have been made a little bit easier on criminals, right? So people are, criminals are more emboldened. Very polite there. Very polite. <laughs> criminals are emboldened to do things that maybe they wouldn't have done because of things like, like I live in New York State. They have bail reform. So you could go commit a felony, even shoot somebody and get released without, you know, without, without bail. So how do you feel you know, from an important standpoint, I guess is what I'm saying is, is do you feel knowing some form of martial art or self-defense nowadays is more important than ever as, as opposed to, you know, even going back when you started into your career with us? Yeah. You're saying I'm old. I appreciate you're very <laughs> seasoned, <laughs> right? Seasoned. Yes. So that's a great question, man. You know, there was a slogan we like to use is nobody needs to know how to defend themselves until the moment they need to know how to defend themselves. And then it's too late. Like you don't need to know how to put on a tourniquet. You don't need to know how to, you know, save somebody who's choking. You don't need to know how to change a, a flat tire, you know, and like, like, so you don't need to know any of that stuff until you need it. So excellent question. I would, I would say that you're right. The world is the most populated it's ever been. It's the most insane it's ever been. The, the, the defund the police movement is the most insane it's ever been. The brazen arrogance of, of the, the, the criminals in the world, are, are it's, it's the most elevated it's ever been. They're, so every, every factor for the perfect storm is the worst or best, depending on how you're, 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 you're looking at that it's ever been, you know, I've always, I've always been, you know, even back in the sixties growing up concerned about violence. It was just my calling. Right. And mesmerized by TV shows where the old wild, wild west and Mannix and, and all these, uh, you know, shows that most of your listeners, if they're, an, if they're an aging group, they'll know what I'm talking about. But I was like as six, seven year old, like watching Batman and Robin and watching these shows just fascinated with that. You could protect yourself or a loved one with these skills. I was obsessed with it. Fast forward. I'm 61 now. You're 100% right. Like, this is the craziest time to be alive for every reason. But it's not so much the 
physical uh, component. It's like someone, you know, saying like, uh, you know, I don't, you know, better to have a gun and not need one than to need one and not have one. It's why wouldn't you want to know how to defend yourself? Think about the worst day of your life would be, uh, listen, like everybody can have the, the mostly peaceful protest that turns into a fucking riot, right? Looting, uh, health, uh, depression, anxiety, financial, all of that shit sucks. But a lot of that that I just described happens incrementally where you realize, oh, fuck, I can't pay rent. Oh, shit. You know, I didn't go to the dentist and now I need root canal. But this has been bothering me for two months. And he gave me, he said, we can't do anything anymore. This has got to come out. This is dangerous, asshole. What, call me sooner. You don't have time to call 911 in sudden violence. As much as the good guys would like to come there, kick somebody's ass so that they can get to jail the next day because of the fucking corrupt bullshit, you know, legal system, right? But in that moment, I always tell people, your point in your fight, you need to be your own bodyguard. Who's the first responder in your fight? You are. The second responder is the first responder by, by title, like if the cop comes next, but you're the first responder and you don't have time to dial nine on one. But the most important skills aren't the physical skills. It's the fear management. There's a really neat thing that we do in our, in our cycle, in our, we have a course called no fear and it's spelled K N O W no fear. You got to learn to get to know fear, to lean into fear. We say there's no awareness. If you have no awareness, you have no chance. But that awareness is not just external. When people think of situational awareness, they think of head on a swivel, periscope, looking around. But if you don't know what's going on inside you, like it takes courage to walk away from a confrontation and it takes courage to charge the threat. It takes courage to go, you know what? My ego and my anger for this is actually moving me closer you know, to this, this bullshit event, because I want to go, you guys are fucking like, like you get a bunch of cowards together and you got a dangerous gang. And that's what like Antifa is and all those guys. Right. So to me, the most important thing is how do we cultivate greater self-awareness in the good people on the planet, the parents, so that they're teaching their kids you know, I had, a, I had a dad, he's my tattoo artist, Aaron, a ghost tattoo in, shout out to Aaron, a ghost, ghost tattoo in, in Vegas. He calls me up last year, he says, my 10-year-old son, Salem, is uh, exhibiting signs of anxiety from two years of the mask, playing sports with a mask, wearing a mask all day. It's not seeing people smile. He goes, will your No Fear program help him? I said, I said, Aaron, I've never met your son. I don't know. I don't know how sensitive he is. I don't know how smart he is. I said, but dude, you're his parent and you're his coach. The No Fear program, for you, unless you want some socialist Marxist grooming teacher, and you might have good teachers. Not all teachers are, are like what we see in the news, but, but a lot of them are. Look how fucked up the world is. And that didn't happen yesterday. It's been going on for decades, right? So what can we do? Situational awareness is informed and influenced by self-awareness. Self-awareness is the gateway to critical thinking where you go, yeah, my intuition and my instincts say something's off here. 
And now I'm scared about asserting myself. Wait a minute, that's fear management. So fear management is a superpower. Hence the term no fear. I got to learn how to manage my fear and do the right thing. What's right for me and my family and my community. So, but isn't that my ability to assert? Isn't that self-defense in the holistic sense? So a lot of people say like, yeah, but, but it's, it's, uh, I, I want to pound into your listeners that like, you don't run across the street without looking both ways. That's self-defense. You don't, eat anything without looking at expiration dates, depending on what it is. That's self-defense. I don't want to fucking get food poisoning and maybe die. You don't not practice basic hygiene. That's self-defense. The only thing people don't really practice in, as far as true self-defense is actually self-defense. Right? But, but I want everyone to understand that it starts with the mind. The mind navigates the body. That if I understand fear, I improve my self-awareness. If I improve my self-awareness, I amplify my situational awareness. I've got critical thinking. And of course, a lot of that, you guys know the expression, the pen is mightier than the sword. So I added another sentence to that. The pen is mightier than the sword when you know how to use a sword, right? So I, I believe it's okay for us to talk. And in the back of your mind, if you go, wherever this goes, I'll be, I'm in the fight, Right. And, and that allows me actually to be calmer in whatever letter I'm going to write or whatever speech I'm going to make. Because in the back of my mind, I go, listen, you know, if we fight, I've already thought about this. Not happy about it, but I'll be there right beside you. You're not going to enjoy it. Got me fired up, man. One of our principles inside of Impact Actualism, you know, as a frogman, I've, I've experienced some amazing situations past retirement. So I would, I would have been rolled over by a semi-tractor trailer at one point, but I had this instantaneous response that zigged me into a gap that shouldn't be able to fit, like literally six inches fore and aft of uh, other cars. And the, and the semi-tractor truck rolled past hanging on his horn. It would have been, I would have been a pancake, but I just zipped in because of the preparation. And the idea is not that you can prepare for everything, but for anything because you're managing the self. That's what I've been blessed by the career to be able to train that way. And your 30, 40 years of, of, of experiencing all different phases of conflict have prepared you internally so that you're better able to respond to what happens externally. Like you said, ready for anything. Yeah, I'm ready for a fight, ready for a negotiation, ready to walk away, ready for a car accident we're going to deal with. Yeah. Fundamentally self-managed. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I, I like to on occasion share the term government of the self, right? You, your, your, your brain and your mind is your commander in chief. And then your, your senses, your instincts, your intuition are your special forces. And then some days you got to dig a ditch and you're like, Oh yeah, fuck, I got to lift this thing. And now you're, you're the grunt or you're the person on the ground, you know, with a shovel building a bridge and you have to be able to do all of that and, and know when to delegate that shit. But it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, I believe it's also in, you know, when we talk about self-actualization and becoming your best version of you, self-awareness prevents you from rationalizing stuff, right? That, you know, the play on words, the rational lie, you know, we don't want to, you know, it's very easy to say, well, that's not important to me or, or I'm beyond that. Um, I'm constantly, you know, and it drives a lot of people around me pretty, you know, crazy because I'm always trying to get better. At, at everything I do, 
in, in, I, I try to, in the, in the appropriate ways, inspire my family with that. And, but most people, you know, most people are like, they're okay with the status quo. They just think this is the way it is, you know? That goes back to a growth mindset and fixed mindset. Uh, you're in a growth mindset. There's, there's no upper limit to how we can develop ourselves, and I'll never stop, God willing. As long as I have my mind, I'm going to keep growing in every direction I can. I want to have a second episode already. <laughs> I'm taking notes on several things I really want to dive in on that we talked about already. But because we can't do a second episode at this minute, how do people get a hold of you? How do they watch? How do they look at, like you said, the site, see the spears, the finger pointing, everything? How do they get a hold of you and, and take this further after the show? Yeah, so so you know we'll share a bunch of links, of course, but our main website is blauertrainingsystems.com. So it's my last name, B-L-A-U-E-R Training Systems, all one word. dot com, and that will take you to the four main verticals: my coaching side. Uh, you know, I, so I you know I work with you know families and, and and companies and whatever the coaching. It'll get you access to the No Fear K N O W. If you want to look into that, we've got a digital program on that. And that's very, very effective. Uh, and we've got, of course, our high gear and then the spear system. And we've got training options for if you're in the martial arts, self-defense instructor, and you go, wow, you know, uh, I got to look at that and bring this to my students, my community. We've got, you know, trainer uh, development courses. We've got, of course, our courses for military law enforcement. And then we've got stuff for the general public called Be Your Own Bodyguard. And uh, it's all it's all there. So uh, I'm uh, shadow banned on uh, most <laughs> social media. So you got to punch in my whole name, like on Instagram, Tony Blower, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, the, you know, the usual, the usual places. Uh, and just trying to navigate the crazy free speech platforms that don't allow free speech. So. <laughs> exactly. How do we reach the world but can't get through the the filters as they mount? Yeah. Well, this is this is powerful stuff. Again, prepare yourself for anything by preparing the self, not prepare yourself for everything by going through every possible scenario in the world. This is what people can go beyond their limits with. I'm really excited to open that packet. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much. This is powerful stuff. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was, it was great to, you know, we've known each other a long time. It was great to connect in this form and, 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 and talk and you, you, jostled some old memories of things I hadn't even talked about from the teams in uh, 1993 and all those guys back there. And, and, and I owe, I owe you guys, you know, like you jump started and, and helped kick off spear. And it was some open-minded people that went, this gear is badass and this system has direct application. So thank you. And of course, thank you for your service, man. Always a privilege. In fact, uh, on our next show, probably want to bring on the the only other, the only person in the world that you're afraid of, whose name is Jesse. Is that right? There's only one person you're afraid of, right? My wife. Yes. <laughs> well, because yeah. we'll, it'll be cool to hear this, you know, back and forth, just throwing ideas out there. Because uh, I know she's a badass in her own right. I follow both of you on social. Really impressive she couple. I tell you what, she needs her own reality show. And she's the only person that, that, you know, if, if she applied for a concealed carry and they contacted me and said, Hey, just as a character reference, I'd be like, no, she absolutely cannot have a gun yeah, for my safety, for every driver's safety. She, no, she's a badass. As you could say I have major, major reservations about that recommendation. Yeah. Guys. And uh, Eric, as always, thanks brother for coming on here. 
Hey, I'm just happy to be here. Pleasure to be a fly on the wall for the conversation. Getting some good ideas out there for the world. Eric, I do want to say, like, start telling people that you're working on a nose block instead of broken nose, that you're working on yes. a new technique where you block punches and injure hands and stuff like that. Just a, oh, I will. Definitely breaks I fingers. Yeah. And to the listener, thanks for being aboard. As always, we are going to see you soon on the next episode of Beyond Your Limits. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.